I'm going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Grab a seat. Good morning, all. Um, still a music stand here. Whoops. All right, so you should have a worship guide uh, in your seat. If not, I think we may have a few extras on the back table. Um, but on, the, on there, you will find the scripture for the day, plus all kinds of other things. But as uh, Rachel read, we are going to be in Hebrews chapter 1 today and following. Um, so yeah, it's really good to share the Lord's Day with you and to open up our scriptures and to find ourselves, hopefully, if, uh, if we can help it to find ourselves a little bit uh, rebuked in our heart, uh, but then hopefully also encouraged. And I think that's what the beauty of God's word is, is that it both encourages us and then sometimes it rebukes us. We just don't know what side of the, of, uh, the, the sword we will be on. So we'll just be in the spirit, asking the Lord to guide us and direct us as we are. Okay. Uh, this morning, we are going to, in reflection of this passage, we're going to talk a lot about uh, confidence, and, um, and we want us to be more confident people, and we want to make better decisions and those types of things. But oftentimes, when you are confronted with, or you're staring a decision in, in our minds, sometimes it's really, really hard uh, to be confident. And that's what we want to replace. You know, we want us to move from unsurety into surety, like some kind of discomfort into some boldness into the decisions that we make. However, you know, when we look at our day-to-day decisions, there's just so much coming at us, right? We are in a time and we are in an age where we have a plethora of choices. And sometimes those choices can make us frozen. Sometimes the abundance of of choices can actually paralyze us rather than liberate us and those types of things. Take, for instance, me, maybe it's you, but me standing in Lowe's in front of the light bulbs. If you're a guy in here, you know, you love Lowe's, but you hate that wall of, I mean, it just, it stretches for hundreds of feet. And I mean, it's just light bulbs. That's all it is. And there are so many choices. I mean, I wish that I lived back in the 50s just to replace that one decision. Like there's a light bulb, you screw it into a socket. But today there's wattages and they're different. I don't know the difference between the wattages, but they're different, right? And then there's this thing called Kelvin. Raise your hand if you've heard of the word Kelvin says no one but everyone at the same time. How in the world do y'all know about this thing? So there's this thing called Kelvin, and that's the temperature of the room. Temperature is heat, people. has nothing to do with light, so they say. But now we have a Kelvin, which is the temperature of the room. 
Oh, so you have wattages, now you have to do temperature, and now there's efficiency, and there's green things, and then there's more efficiency, and then there's this light bulb that is smart, and you can program it with your phone. I mean, people, we are living in the last days. I mean, I'm telling you, this place is about to get, I mean, just thrown into pieces if that's our problem. But it's not just Lowe's. It's not just Lowe's. You go into a supermarket, right? Or not to, so you go into like, like a... Um, like a gas station, and you walk into the snacks aisle, and you just stand there, right? Because you're like, I don't know. Uh, these things, these products haven't changed in the last 40 years. There's still Kit Kats and Twix and Snickers, and yet I can't make a decision. It's like decision fatigue. You just stand there, and you go, okay, and you just grab something. You don't know if you like it or not, and you just buy it. So you make a decision, and then you end up regretting it almost by the time that you walk out of the store. So here's what we want to happen this morning. We want you not in the kind of the lows and the roadrunner type of scenarios for you to feel confident, but we really do want there to be kind of a, a grit to you, and we really want you to feel confident in some of your decisions. We do have decision fatigue, and every morning when you wake up, you know, there are more and more decisions to make. If you're a mom, right, or even a dad, but if you're a mom, you, you know, the decisions start before the sun pierces the eastern sky. These children just continue to just come at you with all kinds of questions, and they're glorious and beautiful questions, but you just wake up to having to make decisions, you go to work, and it's either your boss wanting a decision, or you are the boss, and you have to make decisions, and it just continues throughout your day. You come home, and then there's these things of life with bills and property taxes and these types of things that just kind of weigh us down. And so throughout the day, you just continue to get inundated decision after decision after decision, Netflix is no longer an enjoyable experience. There are thousands of choices, and you can't make one decision. So you just end up clicking for 30 minutes, not seeing anything that appeases your heart, right? And so here's what we want. We want our decisions, you know, to actually have something. But there's more. There's more than just, you know, snacks or Netflix. What about the ultimate decisions? What about the things that have like, like consequences, things of life that actually has, have huge weight to them? Those decisions that we make, we have even less confidence about. And it's not just this world, but what about eternal decisions? The decisions that we make in space and time here that will actually have eternal consequences, that's where we all freeze up. Because when we are pressed in on those types of decisions and we have those kinds of choices, that's where things really get squirrely for us. And we want to use these types of texts in Hebrews to help us to do that better. The more weightier choices are on our plates this morning. What we are going to do with Jesus ultimately is on our plate this morning. Are you able to choose? Are you able to actually make a better choice, to pick a decision, one or the other, and be able to confidently say, okay, that's where I'm going? The book of Hebrews is a comparison and a contrast. 
All right, so for chapter after chapter after chapter, we see the writer of Hebrews actually making this comparison of other things in this world and Jesus. And he continues to put things forward like, okay, here's something that you need to look at, right? And here's a comparison, and then he gives us this attention to Jesus. And it happens over and over and over. The writer of Hebrews is wanting to make one point to his audience, that Jesus is better. And so from now, today, the first week of February, all the way until Easter Sunday, which is the first week of April, all spring, we're going to be talking about one thing, that Jesus is better. That Jesus is better. And throughout Hebrews, chapter after chapter after chapter, the writer is going to elevate these wonderful things in life for you to stare at and then elevate Jesus even more. And for you to choose, okay, are you going to pick this or this? And that's the decision that we all have to make. It's a choice or a decision that we have. So here's the book of Hebrews. We don't know much about the author. We don't know much about the audience. But we do know enough to give us some context. We know that this church. It was an early church. It was in the first century. And we know this is probably a a small to medium-sized gathering, maybe a little smaller, maybe even about the size of our gathering here this morning. We know that there was enough significance that the emperor of Italy, the emperor of Rome, actually did notice them. But here we have a local body of believers, somewhere between 60 and 70 AD, all right? And these people are up against a decision. And the writer of Hebrews is actually writing and penning this letter to fight for that decision. He really, really wants them to make the correct choice. These these Christians, this Italian uh, congregation, they're up against something. See, their life with Jesus hasn't been easy. They have aligned themselves with Jesus. They've aligned themselves with Christianity But from the very point of inception, of belief, it hasn't been an easy road. In fact, it's actually been a hard or an uncomfortable road. And so here we have our early church, this pod of believers here in Rome or in Italy. And they're very Roman, right? They're very Italian. We know that in the context, they're very Jewish. And now that they are very Christian. And so whether their nationality is with Italy or whether their religious background is Jewish, they've now made a very spiritual or a cognitive choice to pick Christianity. And because of this choice, because of this decision to follow Jesus, it's actually brought more harm right, and more discomfort to their hearts and to their very lives. Here we have the year 60, the year 70 A.D., We know the fall of of Rome, the great persecution was in 64. So it's somewhere in there where Nero actually comes and he literally torches the entire city and blames it on on Christians and does unbelievable things to our brothers and sisters 2,000 years ago. Here they have a decision to make. They've made a decision to follow Jesus. But they've squared with that decision. And now they're looking at their discomfort, and they really have to pick. Am I going to pick safety? Am I going to pick comfort, or am I going to pick Jesus? With everything that's in them, they want to revert backwards, right? They actually want to go 
back to what they once believed because back there, that's where the safety is or that's where the comfort is and that's what they know. This new thing that's on their plate, this new thing that they now believe is actually causing all kinds of discomfort and they want to flee. Or some of them, instead of reverting backwards, some of them just want to move on to the next thing. They just want to dismiss things altogether. And so whether you are moving back or maybe you just want to dismiss and move on, either way, there is a, there's a tremor underneath the ground. Underneath this early church, there's these, these ripples that are happening. And it's full of fear and it's full of anxiety and they don't know what to do with Jesus. Because they looked at him and they looked at what he promised, eternal life and life abundantly. And quite frankly, it hasn't turned out the way that they have anticipated. And so they're fleeing or they're being dismissive. I would say that the book of Hebrews and the people of Hebrews is very similar to our context here 2,000 years ago or 2,000 years later. You see, we have a nationality. We're not Italian, but we are American. And so we look at our American, you know, system, right? And we've taken comfort and energy from that. But then we're here in the deep south. And so even though we didn't grow up Jewish, some of us, a lot of us grew up religious. And so we have this religious background that is just kind of in our DNA or in our bones. And for some of us in here, we've looked at our nationalism and we've maybe even stared at our religious upbringing And we've had to make a cognitive choice to pick a relationship with Jesus over kind of religious structures or even nationalism. We've had to make that choice. And here in a generation, here, maybe even 40 years from now, it may actually bring so much discomfort to our hearts and to our souls and even to our bodies. These are not just decisions that we make at Lowe's. This is truly about our livelihood and how we raise our children and how our children's children may look at the person and work of Jesus. The author of this book is fighting for the hearts and the lives of these Hebrew, these Italians. He's fighting for them because he's saying, I know that you're looking at this, but I really, really, really want you to look at Jesus and to see that he is better. And so over and over and over, it's going to be the exact same sermon, right? Different illustration, different kind of angle, different pixelation, all of that stuff. But it's going to be the same thing. We're going to elevate something that we once held dear to us. We're going to elevate something that that looks like it's going to be superior. We're actually going to capitalize that and look at the person of Jesus. And we're going to do that over and over and over again. And so here we have this, this group of people. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Let's read it this way. Long ago, right? Thousands and thousands of years ago, or if you're a Star Wars or Star Trek, which one starts with long ago, something like that? I don't know. I haven't seen them either. Um, But long ago, all right? In many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But, that's a conjunction. That's That's a clarifier there. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, right? By his only son. This is my son in whom I will, uh, I'm uh, well pleased. Forgot to love the world, you know, that he gave his son, his one and only son. So here we have these choices, many voices, many times, and now there's just one. 
So here is the author here in verse 1 making a comparison already. That there you have heard many voices and it's been scattered over many times. And yet now, but conjunction, there's one. We can look at those. We can gain value from those. We can take great comfort from those. There's nothing, no, nothing wrong with those. But in comparison to Jesus, Jesus will always be better. Jesus is the one in which we are to stare at. Jesus is the one. He's the better one than all other choices on earth. Let's jump all the way to verse 4, and you'll see it this way. And so this is the theme that you're going to see in verse, all throughout. Verse 4 says this, Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. If you scratch in your Bible or if you have your on your worship guide, you want to kind of look at these words. That having become, become as much superior, all right, so that's a comparison word, right? That is a declaration. If, then, you know, this, but, much more superior, right? And at the end is more excellent than theirs. So we've got a superiority and we have an excellent. There's a comparison. Look at this. That's fine. But make sure that Jesus is always elevated. If you've got your scriptures, it's not printed, but if you've got your scriptures, flip over to chapter 3. Again, we're just going to kind of see, see two of these. One is in chapter 1, the other is in uh, chapter 3, verse 3. Here we have the prophet, right, Moses. We have our father here, Father Moses, talking to us. Verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 3 says this, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house is, has more honor than the, the house itself. You see it? Better. More. Right? And so these are the themes. And this is the kind of the tracks that we're going to, to lay over and over and over and over again. Throughout this book, we see that Jesus is better than the angels. And Jesus is better than Moses. And, jo uh, and Jesus is better than Aaron, Aaron and the priesthood. We see that he's better than the tabernacle. He's better. He's a better sacrifice. He has a better covenant. On and on and on, he just goes back and looking back at some old structures and said that Jesus is better. He's better than Moses and Joshua and Aaron and a priesthood and the old covenant. He's also better than all of the other old systems, whether it be the tabernacle or the sacrificial system. So if you want to revert, believer, here in Hebrews, if you want to just go back, just know that you can go back as far as religion is old itself, and you're going to see these systems, and just know that Jesus is better than that. Just know that all the systems that you're going to revert to if you choose to go back, if you're going to slide back into these old systems, know that Jesus is better than those. But it's not just looking back. It's also if you want to just move on, right? Move on to newer or bigger or better kind of ideas to become more modern. Well, Jesus is in, in, our, in the book of Hebrews is better than all of those as well. So if you want to move on, then in the book of Hebrews, we have Jesus better as the better hope, right? He is the better testimony, he is the better promise. He is the better substance. He promises a better country. He is the promised resurrection. Everything that we see in the future is actually completed and surpassed than everything here on earth. Jesus is better. And we need this message in our culture, in our context today. Because there is a comparison. 
And every day there's a value system that's being weighted. And more often than not, we are looking at an old system or maybe even futuristic. And we're putting our faith and our trust, and as the Hebrews have been, been asked or pleaded to, putting our hope in those things. Jesus truly is better. So this semester, we're going to be talking about having a better appetite or having a better palate for the finer things in life. More fine or much more better than art or music or food. Everything is going to be completed in Jesus alone. And so our decision is to look at Jesus. Let's do some teaching real quick. And let's look at uh, verses 1 and following and just in three simple verses. We're going to actually start setting a foundation for who Jesus is. So long ago in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. He's setting up just the, the, the beauty of the Old Testament, the old system. That's what the old times and the, and the many ways are, that God is speaking through the prophets. We have in our scripture Right? We have a ton of things. It spans 1,500 years. We know that there's 40-plus authors. We know it's 39 books. But we're looking at all of these many times and in many places and many people that are actually here to stitch this thing together. We see that Moses and Joshua and Elijah, we see all of these different authors. But we also see different ways. We know that Moses had to go up to uh, Mount Sinai to get his word. We know that Jacob was actually wrestling with God himself. We know that Elijah heard God in a whisper. And we could just go on and on and on. There's not just times, but different ways in which God is saying, Hey, this is who I am. I want you to know me well. So what he's saying in verse 1 is that there is an Old Testament. And it has been good. And it has been necessary for you to know the things of God. There have been many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, all right, if you want to talk about end times, talk to Daniel, don't talk to me. But if you want to talk about end times, just know that post-resurrection, right? The second post-resurrection, we have entered into the last days. Here we are. It's 2,000 years later, right? But here we are. There's no other epoch. There's no other time that's going to start other than Jesus uh, coming back to get us. And so, but in these last days, this is a conjunction. He has spoken to us by what? Or by whom? By a son. And so here we see the completion. Here we look at God as speaking and speaking and speaking by the prophets. But then his last message the thing that he is going to elevate more than the prophets. Again, comparison. You have a decision to make. Are you going to trust the prophets or are you going to trust Jesus? He says, in these last days, he has spoken to us by the Son. This is important because Jesus is actually fulfilling the law. Jesus tells us that he hasn't come to abolish the law. He's actually come to fulfill the law. Remember that? I mean, this is what he is able to do. He's actually fulfilling it. So if we want to read our woo, those are bookmarks. Um, if we want to read our scriptures, and we need to, right? And we we find ourselves in the Old Testament. We find ourselves there often. Just know that everything is pointing and having its yes, as the scripture would say, having its yes and its amen in Jesus. Actually, everything is pointing, and it's going to culminate or be fulfilled in Jesus. 
And so we're not just looking at Moses because he's a great prophet. We just know that there's going to be a better Moses that's going to appear, and his name is Jesus. And that's what Hebrew is able to do. This book is able to be the most practical thing in our life because we have things that are fighting for our attention and fighting for our devotions. The writer of Hebrews is telling us Jesus is better than all of those. But he has given us Jesus, who is better. Um, If you're uh, doing the community Bible reading plan, uh, we read uh, Luke chapter 24 this week. If you've got your Bibles um, or or um, on your phones or something, flip to uh, Luke chapter 24. This is Jesus' last moments on earth, right? Jesus has resurrected, and he's actually going along, and he's talking to a few people, and he's pointing to Uh, pointing to the kingdom. But he says in three times, during his last days, three different times he says something particular that I want us to notice. This is Luke chapter 24, verses 25 and following. Jesus is walking alongside two disciples on 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 their way back home. And Jesus says to them, after a long dialogue, And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe that all the prophets have spoken. That sounds a lot like Hebrews 1, doesn't it? Verse 26. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Verse 27. And this is amazing. If you've got a pen or a highlighter, you need to circle this verse. You need to memorize it. This is just, this is the Bible kind of like summed up in in a couple of words. And beginning with Moses, all right, that's the Pentateuch. That's the first five books of the Bible. Beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, right? Remember, we've heard that word, these words in Hebrews chapter 1. Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning what? Himself. All of the scriptures... Even the Old Testament and all of those stories of Moses and the prophets, they are all concerning who? Jesus. Keep going. Uh, verse 32. This is, a kind of a, um, this is kind of the conclusion. Jesus is now gone. He's kind of, he, he leaves. And so they're talking to one another. And so these two guys, they say to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us? Like, aha, I get it. Oh, my heart is overjoyed. I mean, didn't, I mean, didn't you feel it? My, didn't our hearts burn within us? While he talked, as he was teaching us, that while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures, he made them all clear. Because over and over and over, it all makes sense if you add Jesus to the equation. Jesus is the better Moses He is the better Joshua. He is the better sacrifice. He is the better tabernacle. Over and over and over, Jesus is raised up to supreme over and over. And lastly, after his or right before his ascension, verse 44, and then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still, uh, still with you, that everything, this is verse 44, that everything written about me in the law, that's Moses, the law of Moses, And the prophets, he adds in the Psalms here, how gracious of him to do that. The prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
And he opened their minds to understand the Old Testament, to understand these scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day risen, arise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations should uh, beginning in Jerusalem. All of those things, repentance, belief, nations, sacrifice, resurrection, all of these things are found where? In the Old Testament. Because all of these scriptures are screaming Jesus' name. They all point to Jesus himself. That's what we find in Hebrews. Is that yes, we have heard many prophets talk about many ways and in different times. But this one, this one is actually pointing, all of the scriptures are pointing to Jesus. So who is Jesus? He's the heir of all things through whom uh, he created the world. And so we know that Jesus is the creator. And we see this in Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1 and John 1, that it wasn't just the creation. is that all of creation was created through Jesus himself. He is the creator. And so our very first sermon from Jesus is not the Sermon on the Mount. It's actually creation itself. Jesus is the one that's doing the creation. So as we see the whole world unfold about him, it makes sense that he was before creation because he was actually the creator. And he is the heir of all things. The heir is important. It's not just the creation part, but the heir. Because an heir actually gets something at the end. He actually gets an inheritance at the end. And so whether it's the beginning or the end, the Alpha and the Omega, we see that it is in Jesus. Whether he creates or he just inherits all things. Through whom the world is created, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God. The radiance. As the rays of the sun touch and warm our faces, as the radiance or the rays of the sun actually makes our flowers bloom and, and, and the seasons change. In the same way, Jesus is the radiance of God. He's actually, we can't see God. We can't even put our eyes on him. We're, we're, just, we're, we're too defiled to even look upon him. And yet we can look at Jesus because he is the rays or he's the radiance of God's glory. That's why Jesus had to come and be the light. You see? And so even in creation, we understand that there's the sun and the sun has rays and the rays warms us. So now we have a better sun. We have a better rays or we have a better warmth because in Jesus, we actually see God as the very source because he has come to be the light of the world. We see him on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he's what? He's dazzling white. We see the Apostle Paul, and he's blinded, right? By what? A light, and the light is Jesus. And so the radiance of God is Jesus himself. He is the truer, and he is the better. He is the more sufficient one in all of these things. So yes, let's look at our object lessons, whether it be the Old Testament, whether it be the Son itself. But let's make sure that all of their completion is found in Jesus. He's not just the glory of God at the exact imprint of his nature. You guys need to go back home and just meditate on these words. The fact that the exact imprint of his nature, that what we see in God, we can't see him. We cannot behold him, but we can see Jesus and we can behold him. We can look upon and say, that is what God looks like. He is all of these things. We've talked about the fact that Jesus is the creator. And very lastly, not only is he the exact imprint, this wax and seal, or the very replica of, of God, 
that he upholds or he holds all things together in Christ Jesus. That's Colossians 1.17. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And then, after making purifications for sins, he sat down on the right hand on the majesty on high. Of all of these things that he was beforehand, he too had to have an ending. He had to give up his life. He had to become the sacrifice for us. Jesus had to be this for us, for the purification of sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus had to do something about that, right? The wages of sin, right, is death. That means that we are all in a lot of trouble unless somebody comes into our story to really make it something different. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, the scriptures would say. And over and over and over, no matter how bad our plight is, no matter how bad the sins of this world has entangled our hearts and soul, we see another and greater story. So yes, you're an idiot. Yes, you make really poor choices. Yes, you do things or say things to your wife or your husband that you regret deeply. Yes, you say things to your children. Yes, you cheat on your taxes. Yes, all of these things are true of us. And yet there's a greater story than even the most real thing in this world of corruption and destruction and demise. The greater story is Jesus. He's come to purify all those things. He's made us wider than And that's what we have at our disposal. Here, from stitch to stitch, cover to cover, we have the story of Jesus and how he has made everything true in him. That's why we bow and we worship and we sing and we pray and we get free and we take the Lord's Supper because everything is in him only. We have been washed whiter than snow. How is that true? How can that be true? Because there is a truer and better sacrifice that came for us. Help us to worship him this, one, uh, this semester. Behold the Lamb of God who has taken away the sins of the world. At the very center of the story is Jesus. You may be tempted to go back to an old religious system. You may be just like our, our Hebrew brothers, where it's just easier, right? Instead of to making it real in here and to make all your decisions, it may be just easier to go back to your grandma's faith and just say, yeah, I'm Southern, so that means I'm, I'm probably a believer, right? And just rest in your heritage. If you're going to go backwards, if you're going to slide in that direction, just make sure that you go beyond your grandma and before you're by, you know, farther than your southern heritage. Go all the way back to the sacrifice of Jesus. So if you want to go backwards, right, and just go back to rest in something, make sure that in this passage, our direction is backwards, to look at the purification of sins that Jesus gave us. Or if you just want to move on, right, and you just, you just, there's something better in this world, and you just, you just want to kind of go on to newer and better things or greener pastures, Go ahead. Go ahead and move on. But just make sure that you go all the way on and go all the way to an eternal glory where Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the, of the glory of the majesty on high. Just go ahead and go all the way to the utter ends of our future where he is taking the place of power 
and all authority has been given to him. So there is a decision and the writer wants us to make. And he wants to make it as easy as he can. And so over and over and over in this beautiful book, he gives us comparisons. And he's going to dissect for all of us ways in which we can choose the truer and the better option, which is always Jesus. You may be in here and you may have slid back into some old habits. Or maybe you've just moved on. You've tried the Christianity thing and it just didn't work. I hope that you stick around this whole semester and you continue to come back week in and week out. And we pray that the scriptures are proven, are going to prove whatever object, whatever something that looks like it's superior or looks like it's better or more beautiful, that that thing will be replaced by the better option, which is Jesus himself. This is a great place for us in today's, you know, in our today, today's society, because we see people in both, in both ways. And so I would encourage us all that um, we all have various needs, you know, but our greatest need is, is Jesus. Our greatest need is Jesus. And so as we are preparing for Easter, we're going to walk into the Lenten season on Valentine's Day, and it'll just stretch for weeks and weeks before we get to Easter. But during this spring semester, I would encourage us all, right, to know Jesus well. If you are a Jesus follower, for you to be a stable disciple and know what you believe and why you believe it, for you to look at all of these options and go, in my heart, like in my, like as my, in the Luke 24, let my heart warm or burn because I see Jesus is so superior. The next two months, we're going to open up Hebrews chapter after chapter after chapter. And we want to equip you with these better options and for you to see and feel confident that Jesus is better than every other option in the world. That's what we want to do. But in the next two months, we also want you to begin to engage other people. We want you to be looking around at the world around you and begin to engage them. So as we are being equipped in here, we also want you to go, okay, who needs Jesus? And for you to spend time and energy, use your prayers and your Bible reading and your fasting and your silence and solitude to ask, Lord, who is in my sphere of influence? Who is far from Jesus? And how can I just continue to engage and love them well? Invite them into the space we're going to use the word Jesus a lot. That's intentional because we have a lot of comfort in using the word God, right? That's a, a, almost a non-spiritual word. But when we give credit to Jesus, that is the di differentiation. That's the separation point. And so we want you to bring your friends that are far from the Lord into this space because we're going to use uh, Jesus' name a whole lot. We also want you to engage people that are outside of community, that are just by themselves and are hungry for relationships. Invite them into the space. Invite them to community group. Why? Because we are going to say your loneliness is not your problem, right? It's not just that you don't have companionship. Yes, you may say I'm outside of community, but what you really need is you need a relationship not with people, but you need it with Jesus. And we get to say the word, in, the word Jesus in our community groups over and over and over and over. He, Romans 12 says that there's two other 
people, people groups out there that need Jesus. And we, we sang it in the song, Jesus is Better, for people who are both victorious and people who are going through great, great um, misery. For those who are just on the uptick and everything is good and everything's soaring, soaring, just know that they are susceptible because they are, man, they're on top of the world. But at some point, that top of the world needs to be completed by Jesus. And then there are others that are very, very sick or very, very hurt or very, very depressed. And they too need to like not fix their eyes on their problem, but to fix their eyes on Jesus. Truly, in all of our victories, Jesus is better. In all of our hurts, Jesus is better. And so whether you're far from Jesus, whether you're missing out on community, whether people look like they're on top of the world and strutting their stuff, or they're like thoroughly, thoroughly down in the dumps. We want to include and come around them because we want to come around them with the word of Jesus and the, and the, and the name of Jesus. Lastly, and I'll wrap up. There was something inside the, the writer of Hebrews' bones and soul before he wrote this letter. We know he's probably an outside voice looking in. But there was something about this little Italian church that was worth fighting for. And so the writer, we don't know who he or she she is, they took the opportunity and the time to pen a letter declaring that Jesus is better. There's an entire generation here in the West, an entire generation I think the demographics have them about 37 years old, somewhere between 35 and 37 years old and younger. So if you're 35 and older, 36, 37 and older, this message, this is for you. There's an entire generation of kids, right? 35 and younger that have moved on. They've tried the religious thing. They've tried the religious thing. They've tried the Christianity thing. They've tried all of these things. And they've just quite simply, they've moved on to something else. The writer of Hebrews cared so much about a local body of believers that he penned chapter after chapter, word after word, thought after, after clarity of thought. The greatest, the greatest, most beautiful Greek in the New Testament is the book of Hebrews. It's the most beautiful, well-structured letter that we have at our disposal. He took the time and effort and energy because he cared for a generation of people that were about to slip away. This little church, is there's a tremor, right? Seismic activity underneath them. People were already defecting the faith and walking away, and others were threatened. And there needed a, a guide. There needed to be someone to, to come after them. If you're older than 35, 6, or 7, I would encourage you, as this writer has, to engage this younger generation. Engage them not with your pithy statements or not with your marketing, not with even the disciplines. And we talked a whole month about disciplines, but engage them with the superiority and the preeminence and the beauty and the, better, the betterment of God in, found in Jesus. Jesus is truly better. He needs to be our message. He needs to be our solution. 
I don't know how this landed with you this morning. I trust that the Holy Spirit is working in all of our hearts. Let me pray. Jesus, before we walk into this table where we see truly a picture of Jesus, help us to square with him. you're far from Jesus this morning and the Holy Spirit has come into your your heart and your mind this first step this first week I'd encourage you to open the door and hear Jesus' very words that when he taught he said this whole story is about me There's a lot in your story that you are really angry with God about. There's even a lot in the story of God that is very confusing to you. Don't allow your personal hurt or your cognitive confusion get in the way with the voice of Jesus that may be calling you to himself this morning. Others in here. Live in a world of constant distraction and really good options. So many options that we can be dizzy. I'd like for us all to pray a bold prayer to Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. To be transfixed, to be mesmerized, to be stable, and to have a singular vision in Jesus. Holy Spirit, do the heavy lifting in this moment. Heal the broken in, this, in these moments. Cure the sick in these moments. Let captives free in these moments. Jesus, you are better. Help us to see that you really are better than anything else this world religious or otherwise, can offer. When we approach the table, we do so reverently because we know that this is the epitome of a funeral. We know that Jesus, when he took the bread, he he broke it and he says, this is my body given for you. And so in breaking this bread and saying, this is my body given for me, given for you, 
He's declaring that there will be a death or there will be something that's terribly off or very, very different. The picture gets more graphic in the fact that he then takes a chalice of wine and he says, this is my blood that is poured out for you. Don't you know, Jesus? Blood needs to be contained in your body, right? Don't you know, Jesus? Wine needs to be contained in a glass. You can't, you can't pour it. You can't spill it. Don't you know? And so whether he's giving his body or he's pouring the blood, he's saying that there's going to be something that has to change. I have to empty myself in order for you to get life or gain life. This morning, in a crazy way, this funeral service becomes a celebration. What looks like death and broken and spilling actually becomes our joy because Jesus says it was his joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He endured all this because he knew that we were at the front. We were going to be included. And so in the same way, whether you're somber and see this as a funeral, that's good and, and, and right. But as we rise, help us to know that Jesus is singing over us and he's glad for it. And so come and partake and let this be your identity. If you don't mind, if you take this meal this morning, I would love for you to, as you take this bread and dip it in this cup, in the other corners, there's, there's, there's um, little thimbles of, of juice and, and gluten-free crackers for you. Um, but as you do that, I want you in your own heart, in a very kind of devotional moment, just whisper in your heart or mind or even outside, out loud, Jesus is better. This is your declaration this morning. This is your invitation. This is your response. It's to declare to yourself and maybe all those around you that Jesus is better. If you're new to Redstone, this may be a little bit different from you. We take communion every single Sunday. And so we gather in small pockets of people and we stand in lines and we take these elements. And oftentimes you'll find these little huddles. These are not, you know, you don't have to do this. You can take it individually and slip back to your seat, those types of things. But you're going to see these little huddles and what's happening in here. Are fathers leading their families or community group leaders com- uh, leading their community groups or even just uh, communities uh, or, or roommates hanging out with one another. But these little pockets are just a, an expression of our thanksgiving to us because we know that after he... he, he Uh, poured the wine and he broke the bread that he he gave thanks he said a blessing so those are the types of things that you'll be seeing so go ahead and stand Uh, will's up here and uh, he will be playing some music and so take your time if you want this morning this is your space for you to worship the lord